good morning again. It's so good to see you all this morning and to be back in worship with you after several weeks off on sort of my vacation and renewal leave. I just want to say a big thank you. A lot went down over the past three Sundays, <laughs> over the past three weeks, and I am just so, so grateful for Daryl and Micah, for Debbie and Jamel and Larry, who were guest preachers, for all of our leadership, for you all, um, for really stepping up and for just being the revolution, continuing on. We had a board meeting on July 9th on my last Sunday before I went on leave, and it was sort of like um, one of those times, like, is it, do, should I go away right now or not? Like, we are breaking the lease on our building, we're moving out, moving all of our stuff into storage, we don't know exactly where we're going next. Is this the right time? <laughs> And the one board all but blessed me out the door. <laughs> they said, yes, Daryl prayed over me. Everybody prayed over me, and they said, yes, go rest. We've got this. And you did. You did. I had nothing to worry about in that sense. And so I'm so grateful for each of you for giving me that space to be with my family, to go on vacation with my parents. To um, There's lots of reading, lots of hiking lots of resting, lots of praying, and so I'm just really grateful um, that you all gave me that space. Um, and it's good to be back. I missed you. I really, I did miss you. So in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be having lots of, uh, I, I mean, I have a few meetings scheduled, lots of meetings, lots of conversations lined up for us really to enter into this intentional season of discernment, all of us together, not just me, not just the one board, not just people that you think make decisions on our behalf, but all of us together praying, asking some very important questions, questions that I think our friend Larry Stess just set up beautifully, so powerfully that I couldn't, I mean, I couldn't have said it better if I tried. So just borrowing the questions that he left us with last week, asking things like, what is God calling us to say yes to? God, where do you want us to go? But probably the most important question I thought in the list that he presented us with was, what kind of church do we want to be? Asking God, praying God, God, what, what kind of church do you want us to be? What are you calling us to say yes to? So I'd been kind of before I went on leave, I'd been sketching out several different ideas of where we could go throughout the fall, but really sort of the last teaching series in the summer for August, the practice we've done in years past is that it's usually been sort of a, a fun, engaging, um, kind of a really accessible teaching series. We did Encanto last August. We've done a summer of movies, kind of ending the summer as we ease ourselves back into school starting kind of just not necessarily light, but fun and accessible. So I had toyed around with a couple of like the gospel according to pop culture and featuring a different music guest each week. Um, One Hit Wonders, we toyed around with, um, with, with that title. I even did a whole series I sketched out on the gospel according to Taylor Swift. It was 15 weeks long. It's, it's good stuff. Because here's the thing. Oh, yeah, dress changes every week, <laughs> different eras. Because here's the thing. Even things that we deem secular, they bump into these universal truths of the gospel. The gospel according to pop culture, the gospel according. So I'm going to hold on to that one, gospel according to Taylor Swift. So I'm going to start it today, 15 weeks, good stuff. <laughs> to be determined. To, to, you know, it's coming, coming, coming soon. 
to a pulpit near you. But honestly, that's just not where I thought we were right now. Not what we needed. Because honestly, I think we need some space to do some digging. And not just me, not just our leadership, not just the founding members that are here, but all of us. Some deep listening and some deep dreaming. As Larry encouraged us last week, he said, we need to let our dreamers dream. Who are our pioneers? Let them explore. Who are our visionaries? Let them craft new ways to fulfill the mission of Christ that we are called to do. So many of you throughout the course of this last week, when you knew that I was back in the office, you were texting me properties that you saw, taking pictures of churches you'd walked into, asking me, you know, when we had coffee, so many, keep dreaming, keep thinking, leave no stone unturned. We enter into this season now of deep listening together so that we might attune our ears to where the Holy Spirit might be prompting us. It's exciting and it's terrifying, which means we're probably in the right spot. We need that space to dream and to explore all of us together. So I thought our first step as a community of faith in this process should be turning to Scripture and the wisdom of our canon, our tradition, and our faith. Even if we don't always realize it or remember it, there have been a lot of people who have been in this space before. And there are things that we can learn from them of how God showed up and provided for their every need. And I think these stories of the ways that God has shown up for the people of God in the past can give us courage, can give us wisdom, and can give us exactly what we need in our own season. And hopefully they can be sort of these truths that we stand on, these firm foundation of who God is and how God has acted before with hope and courage that God will act again. So tossing and turning is what I've named this series, tossing and turning. It's kind of all of those things that we might imagine that you could lose, lose sleep over. I remember the night before my interview for commissioning as an elder. So I was finishing up at Duke Divinity School. I was going to be graduating in May, and I was being interviewed in March with the hopes of being approved. And if approved, that means I would have a job waiting for me in Kentucky when I moved back home. And if I wasn't approved, I had no idea what was going to happen. <laughs> Tossing and turning, no idea. So a lot was sort of riding on this one interview. I had done a lot of work. I would turned all of this paperwork in, and I was going to be questioned and, and tested with my, the, my theology, um, with my ability to teach and preach, my call to ministry. It's an intense sort of hour-long interview. And the night before this interview, I could not sleep. I was very nervous. Imagining all the things that could go wrong, what would they ask me? What if I said something heretical? <laughs> What if they didn't like my theology? What if they questioned that Blue Devil school and they held me, they held it against me? <laughs> Tossing and turning. On a night when it would have been really helpful to get some good sleep, to be well rested, I couldn't, I couldn't sleep. I remember watching the clock, 1 a.m. If I go to bed right now, I'll get seven hours of sleep, six hours of sleep. If I go to bed 
2 a.m. Right now, I will get five hours of sleep every hour. Have you ever had one of those nights? If I go to bed right now, I will get four hours. That's a whole REM cycle. Man, you could feel like a brand new person with four hours. Tossing and turning. You've had one of those nights before. You know who else has? Taylor Swift. <laughs> In fact, she wrote a whole album called Midnights. 13 songs about 13 sleepless nights that she has had. <laughs> I had <laughs> I just had to. 13 sleepless nights, she says, scattered throughout her life. You know what she says about this album? This is her last, most recent one, well, that she hasn't re-recorded. She says, this is a collection of music written in the middle of the night, a journey through terror and sweet dreams, the floors we pace and the demons we face. For all of us who have tossed and turned and decided to keep the lanterns lit and go searching, hoping that just maybe we'll meet ourselves. I named this tossing and turning before I even remembered that Taylor had as well in her own Midnight's album. <laughs> but there's something about our human experience of this idea of losing sleep in certain seasons of our lives. Oh, look, I gave that to you. The uncertainty of it, the unknown future, the anxiety, the what ifs. And there's something about when you're in, awake in the middle of the night, you're not thinking straight. Things that you worry about, you probably don't worry about at 2 p.m. like you do at 2 a.m. Things feel different in the middle of the night. There's a lot that we could maybe lose sleep over. Maybe some stuff that you are now personally, and so this will speak to you on a personal level. But as a church, there's a lot that we could lose sleep over. The fear of not finding the right place at the right time. The anxiety over the options. The what if. The sense of abandonment. Who can help us with this? Where do we go from here? But here's what I want us to remember and know over the next couple of weeks. That we are not the first ones to be here. We are not the first community of faith to find ourselves in this sort of wilderness unknown. We are not the first people to have such worries or concerns. And in scripture, there's actually several stories of what we call people going through a wilderness journey. And so each week over the next couple of weeks, I want to look at one of these different stories, one of these different characters in the story of scripture and of our faith, of their place of wilderness, and then explore how did God show up? How did God provide for them then? How was God working? Stories like Moses, Ruth, Naomi, Hagar, Jesus, wilderness journeys. All along praying as we go and inviting you to pray with me, what kind of church do we want to be? What kind of church do we want to be? What dreams do you have for us and for this city? What visions for how the kingdom of God might come here in Louisville, in Middletown, in wherever we are? Toward the end of the service, I'm going to invite you, um, well, during communion, uh, to take a post-it at the end. See where Daryl and Micah, everybody wave. Oh, hi, Daryl and Micah. They're presenting our board this morning. There are some post-its on the back table. 
And over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to invite you to add to this wall, fill out on a post-it a word or a phrase answering that question. What kind of church do you want us to be? Maybe it's one that says welcoming. Maybe it's one that says hospitality or looks like Jesus or whatever. Whatever you feel like is weighing on your heart as you pray over the next couple of weeks. You don't have to do it today, but I would invite you. And it can be one or five different post-it notes. Adding to this wall in the back, answering that question, what kind of church is Jesus calling us to be? So I'll invite you to do that at the end of the service. But you can be thinking about that even now, what you might write on a post-it note. So our first wilderness journey, we're going to start with the most obvious. When you think about scripture, you think about wilderness wandering. who is the first person or people you think of? Moses. Who else? Oh, okay, yeah, Adam and Eve. Came. Yeah. They led us right into that great wilderness, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, they didn't, didn't even think of them. <laughs> John the Baptist. Debbie said, just the Israelites in general. Yeah. Wilderness wandering. That's where we're going to start this morning. Moses is kind of his own Sunday here in a little bit, here in a few weeks. Not so much the burning bush moment, but the dying moment (laughs) Um, and you know doesn't get to go to the promised land anyways week three come back stay tuned (laughs) but starting this morning with the Israelites and you know we've done this before we did a whole eight-week teaching series at the beginning of 2020 called braving the wilderness had no idea what kind of wilderness we were about to brave together before a global pandemic But we spent eight weeks looking at the story of the Israelites and the role that the wilderness played for them and for how God showed up. So there's nothing new, maybe, that we're going to hear or say this morning, except that this is the power of the story of our scripture that's living and breathing and active, speaking to us in different ways, in different places, in different times, reminding us this is the foundation of the faith that we stand on. And we rehearse these stories week after week and year after year because we need to remember who our God is and how our God provides. So we're going to start in a familiar place because it's formative and it's important. The story of the Israelites. We find them in Exodus 1. So this is not going to be a survey of the eight-week teaching series, I promise. Maybe a little. We're not going to cover the whole book of Exodus today, maybe a little. But I'm going to start in Exodus 1, and we're going to end in Exodus 40, but I promise, promise, promise you I'm not going to talk about each chapter. (laughs) Megan's scared. (laughs) I promise you it's going to feel like that the first couple of things, but we're going to move quickly. I want you to think of this as snapshots, snapshots in your head of different episodes. We can't cover them all, different episodes that were important for the people of Israel. We find them in Exodus chapter 1 in captivity, A new king has come into Egypt who did not know Joseph, which you remember is how the people kind of got there after a famine. But over time, over generations, the people, the population had gotten really big. There arose a new king in Egypt who did not know Joseph and the people and the story there. And he said, look, they're too big for us. They're too mighty. We're going to put them 
into slavery so that we can subdue them. But what he found out is that the more these people were oppressed, the more they multiplied. And scripture says in in Exodus chapter 1, the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they made their lives bitter with hard service and mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. For generations and generations, they were enslaved in Egypt, making bricks and working all types of work in the field. In Exodus 2, we find this. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. It's one of the most powerful verses in all of Exodus. God heard their cries. God remembered God's promises. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew them. God knew their pain. So that's the first thing that we learn in this first snapshot is God hears the cries of God's people. The second snapshot, Moses in the burning bush. God calls Moses to go, to go to Egypt. I will send you to Pharaoh that you might bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. You might have remembered this story. There's lots of back and forth in this Moses and the burning bush and God calling Moses. But he's saying, who am I to go? And then he says, well, who should I say sent me? And God says, you should say, I am. Okay, but... Are they really going to believe me? It goes on to like asking for signs. There's a sign with the staff, and Moses picks up a staff. Finally, Moses says, I am not eloquent enough for this. You should send my brother Aaron. He's great. <laughs> he can do it. He says, is there nobody else? Finally, he says, please send somebody else. And so God says, fine, your brother can go with you. Your brother can be your sort of mouthpiece, so to speak. You'll go together, but I am sending you. Lots of back and forth. Lots that we can unpack in this call story of Moses when all he does is focus on how ill-equipped he is. And yet, what do we see the God of Israel do? We see that this is a God who calls. And not only does God call, but God calls Moses, God sends Moses, and God equips Moses. I'm sure at some point you've heard the little saying that God does not call the equipped, but equips those that he calls. It's kind of one of those silly little sayings that we churchy people might say, but man, is it not true. (laughs) Man, has that not served as a reminder for me throughout my life that God equips those that God calls. This is a God who calls Moses and sends Moses and equips Moses. So then we fast forward through several different plagues and the going and speaking to Pharaoh and the Passover and the killing of the firstborn, some really, really difficult things. All the while, Moses, God working through Moses to try to set the Israelites free. And we find them then at the shore of the Red Sea or the Reed Sea, and Pharaoh has changed his mind. 
and he has sent all of his chariots chasing after them, and there's nowhere to go. They're closing in behind them. They stand before a sea, and you remember what happens. We've all seen the Prince of Egypt. I mean, read our Bibles. And Moses lifts his staff, and he puts it in the water. God parts the sea, makes a way where there wasn't a way for the Israelites to pass through on dry ground. And not just then, but as the Pharaoh and the chariots, or not Pharaoh, but the chariots and all the horsemen go in after them, the sea closes again and washes the threat of Pharaoh away. This is a God That's in Exodus 14. See, we're already in 14. It's okay. We're going to 40, but we're already in 14. God makes a way out of Egypt. This is a God who is strong and mighty, one to be feared. This is a God who saves. God redeems God's people. Makes a way for God's people where there wasn't a way. The right response then, we see Miriam, the sister of Moses, leading them in a song of worship and praise on the shoreline of the sea. The right response is to praise God for God's goodness and provision. And then, honestly, the real wilderness begins. I started this wilderness journey when they were in captivity, enslaved in Egypt, but truthfully, it begins on the other side of that Red Sea. They're, set, they're free, but now what? They've left everything they knew. For generations, remember, I mean, these are people who were born and raised in Egypt. It's all they ever knew. And now what? And not... Ten verses after they sing that song of praise led by Sister Miriam, do they start freaking out. (laughs) Ten verses later, chapter 15, Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water because it was bitter, therefore it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord. And the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. This is the first of three or four more times when this episode will happen, whether it's water, whether it's bread, whether it's quail, The people grumble. The people blame Moses. Moses says, what do I do with these people? (laughs) But God provides. There's at one point where some of the people actually wish to go back to Egypt. Do you remember that verse? Because at least there they knew that they were going to be fed. At least there they knew that they would have water. So imagine that level of desperation in the wilderness of the unknown that they would rather go back to slavery. That's how much I think as a people in our human nature, we want this sense of security. We want to know. Maybe we want to be in control. So much so that we would choose a known that is evil versus an unknown and trust that is better. It's an exercise of faith. But what does this episode, this snapshot, remind us? God always provides. And God is patient. 
God is very patient with the people of Israel. It's part of our human nature to grumble and to fear, and that's okay. But it's an exercise of faith and trust to remember that God provides. And then we find them at Mount Sinai. Moses goes up the mountain to pray. He's given the law. And this is what God says. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. If you will keep my covenant, I've made a way for you to be a set-apart holy nation. That's what the, the law offers the people of Israel. It's given in function to identify them, to set them apart, to become the people of God. This is what they learn in the wilderness. They learn who God is, and they learn how to be a people of God because they're given the law. The law continues this covenant relationship. It establishes parameters and boundaries for an abundant life with God. And even when it is broken, we learn that God is faithful and merciful. God sets apart to be holy. That's what we see in the giving of the law. He provides them these parameters, these boundaries. There's a lot more that we can unpack about the law. Amen? For those that were in the Galatians study, yeah. But on this survey this morning, we're looking at what this reveals to us about God and God's goodness and character God sets apart to be holy. And then we have this sort of um, snapshot where they're instructed to pull together all of these resources for the building of the tabernacle. Do you guys remember the tabernacle? It's sort of going to be this little um, mobile home, if you will, for the Lord, for God, a, a physical, actual presence of God that they're going to take with them as they sojourn through the wilderness. The people were instructed, this is in Exodus 35. 35. 35. 35. The people were instructed to offer what they had in contribution to the building of this tabernacle and the tent and all the holy garments for the priests. Lots of good, good law of all of the things required for the garments of the priests. And it says, as the Spirit moved, it stirred the hearts of the people to give. That's in verse 35, verse 21. The Spirit moved and stirred the hearts of the people, and they brought forth gold and silver and bronze and earrings and rings and all kinds of different yarns and animal skins, even stones and spices, anointing oil, and the list goes on and on. The people brought so much as the Lord moved them that they had more than enough to do what God had commanded. There was an abundance. Amazing. And they built this tabernacle. And in Exodus chapter 40, it says this. So God gives good gifts. These last two are kind of together. Exodus 40, then the cloud covered the tent of, meaning, tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. 
But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. I love this image of God's presence with the people in Israel in the wilderness. Their wilderness journey. This is before they've built the temple, of course. This is before all of the other things that we sort of associate with the presence of God, the physical presence of God. This representation in the tabernacle. The glory of God filled it. It became this sort of centralized holy space the presence that was reliable and abiding, and not just in a symbolic way, but in a real, actual, fullness of God sort of way. It seems that God actually takes up space in Israel's world so much that the space that, at this instance, Moses can't even fit inside. But God's presence is also with them on the journey. The cloud by day and the fire was in it by night, Where it moved, they moved. The word for tabernacle can also be translated as a similar word of just to sojourn. As in the fixed dwelling place, but it's also a verb, right? On the move, to go. I love that idea of God's presence with them along the way on the journey. The seven little snapshots of things that we learn about God from the wilderness journey of the people of Israel. God hears, God calls, God saves, God makes a way, God provides, God gives good gifts, God sets apart, and God goes before them and with them. God goes before them and with them. And friends, not to read ourselves too much into the story of the Hebrew people, but I do believe that if God has done it before, God will continue to do it and can do it again. You'll often hear in some of my prayers, that's a phrase that I often say, God, go before us and with us. God, go before us and with us. I don't want to get too far out ahead. I don't want to move if the cloud hasn't moved. God, go before us and go with us. God, continue to give us good gifts. Continue to provide. Continue to call. Call new leadership. To call new dreamers. To call new visionaries. The wilderness for the people of Israel served a purpose. It prepared them for what was coming next. Forty years. Forty years. It was a time of intense preparation. It reminded them of who God was and set them apart to be God's holy nation. If we consider this our own wilderness journey of sorts, where we've left one known, but the next thing has yet to be revealed in this in-between time, this liminal space, if you will, this wilderness journey, I believe this serves a purpose for us too. And not just a space filled with fear and anxiety, but to intentionally make it a space of prayer and of dreaming and of visioning and of excitement and of hope for a promised future that we have with Christ. 
What kind of church do we want to be? Friends, it's not just up to me and my answer, but all of us together. So I'm going to pray. The band's going to come up. We're going to move to our time of communion like we usually do, but I just want to encourage you, take a post-it on the back table. If you have an answer, go ahead and jot it, jot it down. Put it on the wall. If you have a new answer next week, do another one and put it on the wall. I want to see that space sort of filled. I know it's just, we might do something creative with it over the next couple of weeks, but I'd love to see that space filled up with the dreams that the Spirit is already stirring within our heart of what kind of church God is calling us to be. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for who you are. And for these reminders of the God that we serve that we've inherited this story of people who have gone before us in faith, who have walked uncertain roads before, and who have seen you show up. We know that you are a God who calls and who saves and who sustains and who provides. So we are here, God, and we are listening. And we stand and wait and hope in faith that you will make a way. Give us the courage that we need in this time of, of wilderness, in this time of waiting. Help it to serve a holy purpose for us that prepares us for the great thing that you have in store. We want to be obedient to you. And so God, we ask and just simply pray, come Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.